and welcome to the Therapeutic Teaching Podcast. I'm Shahana Knight, the founder of TPC Therapy and the creator of the Therapeutic Schools Award and the Therapeutic Teaching Course. And every week I'll be talking about all things related to well-being and mental health in schools. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of inspirational goodness to go out there and make a real difference in the lives of the children that you're working with. Each week will be full of innovative ideas, inspirational stories, practical guidance and even some freebies so that we can actually redefine what school should be for the children of today. You have so much power to make some real changes so let me show you how. I'm so glad you found me here. Let's jump right in. Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. So today we're going to look at how we can support vulnerable children on the run up to Christmas. I'm really aware that there's so many head teachers talking to me at the moment who are just describing a lot of behavioural issues within school. And I think it's really, really important to remember that the run up to Christmas for a lot of really vulnerable children can be absolutely shockingly difficult and sometimes we forget about that. So what I want to do today is to think about how you can spend the next week or so really supporting the children on the run up to Christmas so that they can feel that support from you as they know that they're working towards this end. So I think the first thing that we need to do is to think about why is Christmas so difficult for some children and obviously in this podcast episode today I'm going to focus primarily on the children who are more vulnerable so children who are living in more deprived areas, children who are on your looked after registers, children who have got adverse experiences or are dealing with trauma right now, those children, it might even be the children who are from really large families who financially struggle. So something that's going on that's going to impact them emotionally outside of school that's then going to impact them in school is the children I'm speaking about today. So why is going into school so difficult during the Christmas period? Let's unpick it for a minute. I think it's really important to remember that things are probably very difficult already for these children and actually they don't look forward to holidays. Holidays isn't something that inspires them with joy and enthusiasm. Actually holidays fill them with dread and the idea of having to be at home for a week or two weeks, this time around three weeks over Christmas, is a really scary thing to have to do. Actually, school for these kids is a really safe place, somewhere that they feel like they can retreat to. It's probably the warm place, the place that gives them food. It's probably the place that's a bit more consistent to the rest of their life. And the people in school, although you might not feel like the children think this, are more safe. They're actually caring, nurturing adults. And a lot of the time, that's the children's most valuable experience of a kind, caring, nurturing adult. So actually the run up to Christmas is really, really difficult. And there's a lot going on internally that you might not see. So remember we talked about the brain in one of our previous episodes, and we talked about the reptilian brain. If you remember what I'm talking about, great. If you don't, it might be worth pausing this podcast episode and jumping onto that one so that you can just get some kind of underlying theory around what we're talking about today. That would be really, really helpful. So the survival brain is the reptilian brain. The reptilian brain comes on whenever we feel overwhelmed or we have to prepare ourselves to survive. And what you'll find is that children um, gear up to be using their survival brain through the last few weeks of the holidays while they're in school. So think about like those children who 
it's three weeks before the end of term, two weeks before the end of term, behavior goes horrendous, they're not listening, they're not concentrating, the memory is not working very well, they can't tell you what they did yesterday, they're kicking off with their friends, really low level behaviors that get worse and worse and worse, there's a lot more kind of behavior management strategies you have to do, and then you're thinking, what is this? Very often it's because of this buildup, and what the brain is doing is it's going, right, I've got to now spend two weeks at home. I need to come out of rational brain, which is where school can put me a lot of the time. So they might still flip between rational and reptilian. This might still go into survival brain through the school day, through the year. They might still have meltdowns. They might still get into arguments. They might still struggle with the rules. But generally, you can pull them back a lot quicker and you can sort of guide them into their rational brain a lot faster but that becomes harder and harder as they get closer to a holiday period especially summer and Christmas and that's because the brain is preparing itself to survive so it might not necessarily need those skills right now but the child knows internally that they are going to have three or two intense weeks where things are really hard they don't know when they're going to get food on the table there might be a lot of um, danger at home they might be quite fearful at home Maybe um, they know they're not going to be safeguarded. They're going to be at higher risk at home. Maybe they've got family that are going to be coming back for the Christmas period, like elderly grandparents or aunties and uncles. Maybe those people aren't very safe. You know, it might be that those people cause them harm or make them feel afraid. And they know that that person's coming back to stay over. That might be quite a scary um, sort of thing to prepare their mind for. It might be that they know that they're not gonna have the Christmas everyone else is having. They're not gonna have this wonderful, happy, um, light, bright Christmas full of family. It's gonna be scary, it's gonna be dark, it's gonna be full of lack, it's gonna be full of um, pain and fear. And they're gonna have to deal with a lot of things that most children, we would hope, don't have to deal with. And so their brain is preparing for all of that. It needs to get itself on. It needs to get the stress hormones up so that when the time comes, that child is ready to survive. They're ready to run upstairs and hide under the bed. They're ready to put their own tea on the table. They're ready to look after their siblings or fend somebody off or just manage the day-to-day down kind of emotional abuse that might be happening or the physical abuse that might be happening and so the brain is getting prepared for that so they have to be in survival mode because they need to get ready and so that's why you'll start to see a real dip in their behavior and their processing because they've got to get themselves ready for that and remember Christmas itself might not be positive so I know lots of families, especially when I was working as a TA years and years and years ago, and a lot of my really vulnerable children would get super excited about presents. So everyone would be talking about Christmas presents and what you're gonna get and is Santa coming and all of that. And these kids would have on Christmas day, something like an Xbox or something really big that made them feel loved and valued because obviously something, someone had had given them time and energy to bring them this thing. And then by January, it had been sold for drugs. And these poor kids had to see a repetition every year of this amazing thing for Christmas Day. And then their parents just couldn't sustain that kind of gift because it was money and they needed the money. And so it was a very fine line between wanting to look after the kids and needing the money for drugs because of their addiction. And that was a regular pattern that I saw. And that was really eye-opening for me and really... Um, soul destroying to know that 
these kids every year would gear themselves up for presents and they knew in the back of their mind that those presents would just be taken away. And that dynamic of having to go through that kind of process every year must have been really emotionally draining and probably became a bit of an emotional, like emotional abusive game, you know, acting happy and excited and all of that on the day for your parents because you know that's what they expect. And then just really being filled with dread of how long have I actually got this thing for. So I remember that really clearly. And I also remember a lot of children who Santa didn't come, you know, and as much as people went on and on about it in school, he didn't come to their house because nobody was around that was able to spread the magic for them because they were so consumed with their own stuff that Santa was a secondary thought. In fact, it was probably not a thought at all. And that was really hard as well to see for a lot of those children. And you also have to think of the period of time. So Christmas time means that family are together. There's a lot of stress around money. So many families who are vulnerable go into complete debt because they think they've got to get their kids thousands of presents and save faith and be this kind of for the outside world to be portrayed as a parent who goes all out for Christmas. And it become, can become a bit of a competition between families. And so they get themselves into debt, but then there's a lot of stress around that. So maybe there's more arguments, maybe there's more tension, maybe mum or dad or carers are talking about how expensive everything is and kind of taking the shine off Christmas because they're making it very adult and very real for the children and the children can see that actually the Christmas isn't something we can afford. Or maybe it's the opposite and they go crazy and they get loads and loads of stuff, but the children know, but we've not got any food on the table and you're buying all these presents. So there's so much that might be going on. Children are also at higher risk during the Christmas period. So children are more likely to go into care around the Christmas period or after the Christmas period. And so that can be a trigger as well, you know, thinking about, well, have children been moved? Have they been moved placement? Is placement breaking down because things are really difficult? So I do lots of work with caring companies like foster care companies. And right now, children are being moved from families to be placed with other families and it's literally two weeks is it now before Christmas and these kids are being taken from carers they've been with for six or seven weeks and placed with brand new carers for Christmas so you imagine if we fast forward for that child I don't know let's say that in another three years and they're really settled in the placement but they're in year six at school and Christmas is coming even though they're settled they're going to feel anxious they're going to feel really nervous because Christmas doesn't elicit happy feelings. It elicits fear, anxiety, and stress. And the brain and the body will remember that because there'll be triggers. The smell of a Christmas tree, the songs, the look of a Christmas tree, stockings, the talk of Santa. All of that is gonna trigger memories for children. And it might not necessarily be the happy memories we expect them to have. So it might be they were taken into care. It might be that dad gets really drunk over the Christmas period. It might be that an auntie or an uncle is around that doesn't make them feel safe. All of those things, all of those triggers are happening internally. Now, I'm not saying the children are even aware of this. Often they're not aware of this, but you can see in their behavior that things start to become very, very tricky for them. And what you see is a child who is really difficult to manage. And that can be quite frustrating for you if you're in school or if you're a professional working with children and young people. It might be extremely difficult for you to, to manage that behavior um, because you know you might be tired as well. You might be ready for a break. Everybody's tired around winter Christmas time. But I think there's a lot more that we can do to actually start to support the children. And again, it comes back to that same message that I kind of 
drip feed into everything that I do at the minute and it's like what is the why for these children? How can we see a child or a young person stood in front of us who is kicking off, screaming, shouting, saying they don't like Christmas or falling out with their friends more or being really, really rude to us? How do we see that child, however old that child is, and strip it back and go very quickly in our minds, what might Christmas have been like for this child before? What are some of the triggers this child might be feeling? Did, 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 did. Once you've got the why, then you've got to unpick the triggers and the feelings. So then you go, okay, well, if that's the case in this scenario that I'm sort of thinking in my head, and it might not be true, but at least thinking about it and getting it into your head and playing around with scenarios of what might happen, you're going to be in a better position. You're going to be more informed. And even if that's not exactly the case, you've bothered to take the time to think about the why, and that's the key. And so your responses are going to be more informed. So once you've got to that point, you need to start thinking about the feelings. What are the feelings here? Is this child really angry because they don't want to do their homework? Probably not. Maybe this child is really anxious because it's Christmas. Or is this child um, really struggling um, in school at the moment and that's why they're having really big meltdowns and that's why they're falling out with their friends? Or is this child absolutely terrified that auntie or uncle is coming home at Christmas and it's one week until they come and they're really, really, really sort of fearful and in anticipation of that. So they can't focus on that friendship. They don't care if Jack's got the football or not got the football. They don't want another thing that's gonna cause them stress. So they just lash out because their brain's getting prepared for fighting back. So they can't help but fight back. So you've got to start to unpick this for the children and really think about the why and then think about the feelings. And you'll always be able to pick up the feelings. Even if you've got absolutely no idea about a child's background, you can see that child every day in your classroom, especially if you're in primary school, you can see what makes them tick. And if you know your children, which by the, this point around Christmas time, you'll have a much better understanding of who your children are because you've spent the last sort of three months with them then you'll know the feelings that they feel. And if you really sit down with a pen and paper with the child's name at the top of it, and you think about that child every day in your classroom and take away the behaviors and really focus on the feeling that underlie that behavior, you'll know what the feelings are. And I'll list them again as I always do, but the really common ones are overwhelmed, anxious, fearful, um, nervous. It might be that they are frustrated that they can't do something. Those are the ones that I would say generally are the main kind of triggers. Anxiousness is a massive one and I think we don't talk about anxiousness enough and I mention that a lot. So what are the feelings? Once you've got the feelings, you'll know what to do. You'll be able to help because actually the method for helping comes to the feeling and not the behavior. So how can we help this child feel less anxious? How can we help this child feel more safe? If they're feeling really unsafe at the minute, what can I do in this last week with them that's gonna make them feel a little bit more secure and a little bit more safe? There's so much that you can actually do. So I think let's go through some tips now about what you can do on the run up to Christmas and then also what you can do when they come back because coming back from the holiday is just as difficult as going into the holiday. So let's have a quick look. So there's five main things. The first one, is when you're in your classroom on the run up to the Christmas period, avoid assuming everyone's experience is the same. It's so easy to say things like, is everyone excited for Christmas? Have you got your Christmas tree up yet? And what are you gonna ask Santa for this year? Have you written your Christmas letter? All of those things because we're so excited. But a lot of the time, what we say to children in our minds, and this is with everyone, we kind of expect their reality to be the same as our reality. And that isn't the case. It's not the case from human to human, but 
what we don't realise is we might be envisioning going home to a Christmas tree in a living room with stockings on the fireplace, candles, really warm comfy sofa, Christmas dinner, loads of family. When you say that to a child, are you excited for Christmas? Have you got your Christmas tree up? They might be envisioning a really small battered Christmas tree that reminds them of when they were at home with dad because mum has moved to a refuge and we're sat in a refuge right now and this Christmas tree is a real reminder of the last Christmas dad was around and the baubles are the same on it and you just wish you could get that tree and throw it out the window and things are really cold, you don't really have much food and mum's stressed because she's trying to find presents and it isn't warm, it isn't cosy, you don't even know what it is to have a candle lit and the smell of a candle. And it's just a completely different reality. So when you say with all this enthusiasm about the Christmas tree, that child's like, no, I don't have that. And the thing is, I think what I've found from my own experience is when you're young as a child, so when you're like four, five, six, seven-ish, seven you probably start realizing. You don't really realize that what you experience isn't what everyone else experiences. You kind of assume that your life is normal. And then when you kind of get into probably year four and year five and year six, you start to realize slowly but surely that everyone's experiences are different and that some people have a much better life than you do. Much happier families, much closer friends, they're much more put together and taken care of. And that's really difficult to digest at that age when people are talking about their Christmases and you're thinking that doesn't happen for me and I don't have that. Or when everyone's writing out things that they're gonna do at Christmas for a piece of work and you just can't, you haven't got the imagination to think about an amazing Christmas because you haven't ever experienced one. So all you can really do is pull from a film you've seen and just make it up and that feeling is a horrible feeling to have. So we have to assume everyone's Christmases are very different and maybe there are triggers around Christmas for these children that we don't know. So how we speak to the children about Christmas, I'm not saying don't talk about Christmas because obviously Christmas is a thing and it should be very magical. But what we maybe need to do is to start to teach the children about the magic of Christmas in our own environment. So maybe not necessarily mentioning home as much, but you have a Christmas tree in the classroom. Help the children decorate the Christmas tree. Make it special for you so that you're in charge of knowing that the reality that you can create for those children is one of being magical, is one of togetherness, is one of joy. And those particular children that maybe don't have those experiences, can they be the ones that put the baubles on or unpack the baubles? Can they be the ones that hang stockings across the classroom? I remember this teacher who I used to work with, who was working in a really vulnerable area, and every year he bought the class a stocking so it maybe had them in storage but every year the children in the class had stockings and he would literally line these stockings up across one full wall of his classroom and every child would get a toy or a present of some sort that was specific to them and their personality on around about the last day of, of the Christmas term and so that gave them the experience of Christmas in a way that was very different to maybe their real reality and obviously he didn't know their real reality but he knew they probably didn't get that so they would have a treat and they would have these stockings and it was just a really striking reminder that there's so much you can do there's so much you can do to kind of bring in a different perspective for these kids and different memories for these kids as they get older maybe the Christmases they remember are not even the Christmases at home maybe they're the Christmases they have with you because that's what they choose to want to remember or that's what they choose to want to emulate when they're older
So maybe try taking the emphasis off home and bringing it into the classroom. The second one is if you know that the Christmas period is really difficult for these children and that simple things like putting their coat on if they're in lower year groups or following the rules or playing a football game outside with their friends and expecting them to be organised is really difficult, don't expect them to do it anymore. Reduce the workload. A great tip for anyone, so even if you've got children at home of your own or you're a nanny or you work in a different industry to a school, when children are overwhelmed and when children are struggling and they're more in their reptilian brain, in their survival brain, than they are in their rational thinking brain, they can't do small things. So small expectations like anything really with independence become really difficult. So I don't know if you've got children at home, but if you have, and if your kids are anything like my kids, when they're tired or when they've had a really busy term or when things are up in the air or when they're having a growth spurt, they can't do simple things like if I say, go upstairs and do your teeth. It's a huge fuss. Or, right, can you pour your breakfast and find your um, spoon, put your spoon in the cereal, go and eat your cereal. Or guys, can you get reading books out in the morning and do your reading? All the things that I do for my children to give them the independence that I offer and say, okay, you need to do this. This is your responsibility to do this becomes really hard. It's like the simplest thing I'm asking them to do is such a big issue. And the reason for that is because their brain can't actually function and cope. It's like they go back to toddler phase in their brain. Their brain goes all mushy. It's trying to sort things out, trying to figure things out. And they just physically can't do the expectations that I have for them. And the best way for me to manage that as a parent is to pull that back and say, okay, this week, my son, for example, is having a growth spurt. He's really struggling with simple things. I'll do his teeth for him. I'll put his shoes on when we go out for him. I'll get his breakfast ready. And that little bit of nurture gives them that feeling of being understood and helps them to work through this difficult period. And it also takes away the expectation that you know they can't fulfill. And actually, it's probably unfair to expect them to do it when you can see that they physically can't do it. And then when they come out of that growth spurt, they can do those things and they do them even better. Now, that's a slightly different experience because those kids are having a growth spurt or they're struggling because they're really tired. The children I'm talking about in school are going to be more vulnerable. There's going to be a lot more kind of complexity behind that. But the basic principle is the same. So we know they're overwhelmed. We know their brain is in reptilian. So in reptilian, they can't problem solve. They can't reason. They can't recall and remember. They can't have empathy for others. So let's not put them in situations where they have to do that regularly. Obviously, little bits here and there, but if it's a week, it's a week. It's just a week. And if it's a tricky week, part of our job and part of our responsibility is to help them through that week. And that's far more important than making them put their coat on themselves when we know it's going to create a meltdown. So instead, reduce their workload. Similarly, with their work itself, if they've got maths and they find maths quite tricky and you've given them three worksheets of maths to do, then you know they're not going to be able to do that because they're going to look at that maths and go, this is another challenge. I've already got 50 challenges I'm trying to work through right now. I don't need another challenge. I don't need another thing that makes me feel inadequate or another thing I have to problem solve and figure out because all my energy, all my time is going into problem solving what I'm going to do at home. How am I going to get dinner on the table? Is mum going to buy enough food for me to be able to put together for the siblings? Have we got enough nappies? Whatever it might be. So you can reduce that now. The beauty of this is generally around Christmas, we don't have as many expectations for the children. I remember we did a lot more worksheets, a lot more like, I remember 
doing a lot of playing. I remember doing a lot of um, word searches and Christmas related fun stuff and you're working towards your Christmas play and all of that sort of stuff. So it's less kind of structured anyway, which is probably a good thing. So what you want to put in for these kids is more time to just do some colouring, calm and colouring. It could be a Christmas worksheet, whatever you want, but calm and colouring. Give them an opportunity to have regular breaks that come in between those work. So if you're saying, okay, you need to do a piece of maths, give them a piece of maths, a short, sweet piece of maths, and then give them something that they can really calm their brain down and help themselves to digest and regulate and just come into a place of calm before you expect them to do the next thing. That's going to really help them to do something in their day because it may well be that you've got children who are doing absolutely nothing of any academic stance at all and that's the case a lot of children will just completely opt out of learning right now so if that's the case instead give them small bits of learning and then give them breaks and it might even be that the break is can you just go and grab the pens for me and can you put away whatever it is and do this little job and maybe they do it with a friend. And that just gives them a mental break from their work for five minutes before they're then expected to do any more. But generally just reduce the expectations. Is there anything you can do that you can help them with? Can you sit with them a bit longer? Can you help them put their coat on? Can you um, ask them to come and sit on the table with you to do that piece of work because then they're near you? Can you read more stories to the children in the run up to Christmas? Can you do more carpet time? If they're doing colouring, can you do that colouring with music on and can you do that colouring lay on the floor so that they feel a bit more connected to the ground and a bit more kind of free and a little bit more, like if you lay on the floor, it feels a bit more nurturing for children than sit on stuffy chairs. So what can you do to reduce the workload and just give them a little bit more nurture? And like I say, building regular breaks, so calming colouring, more reading. Maybe if you've got some children who are really struggling with their behaviour right now, give them a chance to have some, some iPad time with the headphones on. And maybe you say, right, okay, today's a really special day. It's only five days till we break up. So we're going to have, um, we're going to do our maths today, but we're going to do our maths with some Christmas songs on. So that there's a little bit of something going on that just distracts from the challenge of doing the maths work or whatever the piece of work could be. The fourth thing, so that was two and three, the fourth thing is lots of reflective language. So use your therapeutic responses. Loads and loads of reflective language about behaviour. So for example, um, you're frustrated and overwhelmed right now, or I can see you're really struggling, can I help you with whatever it might be, or things are really tricky at the moment. Whatever it might be that gives them a bit of insight, and a really good tip is to see behind the scenario. So if you know that really what you mean is, Christmas time is really tricky for you right now, then when you say things are really tricky for you right now, it could be interpreted as in the classroom, but it speaks subconsciously on a level to say, I get it, it's a really hard time right now. And that sort of stuff is gonna send sort of subliminal messages to the child to say, I'm here, I understand. But the more that you're reflective in your language about their feelings and their behavior, the more they're gonna understand that Christmas time is quite tricky, that they are struggling, and it just gives them that insight that they need. So, you know, it might be that they're having an argument, it might be that things are really hard, maybe they're not doing their work very well, and you would just say simple things like, um, it's making you really frustrated, it's a bit hard to concentrate at the moment, or this is really tricky for you, it's really hard for you to think about everyone's feelings right now. Anything like that, just constantly reflective, reflective, reflective all the time. Obviously, with that, if behavior is an issue, and they are hurting people or using language that's not okay or whatever that it is that just takes it that one step further that you need to put a boundary in place. Obviously put your boundaries in place. Make sure that you've got an idea about what those boundaries are going to be and put them in place. Again, 
not a good idea to send them out of the room. It's not a good idea to put them on time out or to stop them from doing things that are nice or to send them away or send them home because all of that just feeds into this feeling of rejection and it just perpetuates what's already going on internally for them. What they need is connection, relationship and understanding because this is a hard time for them. Because it's so difficult, we don't want to reinforce that we don't care that things are difficult for you. You either behave or you don't. And if you don't, you're out. Because all that teaches them is that they're not valued and that what's really going on for them doesn't matter. And that will teach them to swallow down their feelings. And sooner or later, you're going to have a teenager who doesn't talk about their feelings, who doesn't acknowledge their feelings and has been taught to avoid their feelings. And that isn't okay. So instead, use your reflective language, help them to understand that you are connected, you do understand. And then if they do have to have a boundary, give them a boundary, but give them a boundary that makes them accept responsibility, like we talked about in a previous podcast. So the responsibility could be, okay, you need to go and clear up the display you've just pulled down. Or can you go and spend some time with Jack? Because you guys have just had a big fight on the playground. Jack's feeling a little bit upset and wounded, really likes you, wants to be your friend, but that relationship is a bit is a bit difficult and strained right now. You and Jack can go and spend 10 minutes together sorting out the paint parts. And maybe while you're with Jack, just say to Jack, I really didn't mean to say that, Jack. I didn't mean to kick you. I was angry and my feelings took over. And that will help. So give them strategies. Give them responsibility to take back some kind of responsibility of what they've done wrong. Not responsibility in terms of putting coats and shoes on. That's very different. I mean, your behaviour management strategy should be, right, you've done this and this is how you make amends for it. That's what responsibility means. So try those things. I'm not saying that these children should get away with their behavior because they shouldn't because they absolutely need boundaries now more than ever. Your boundaries, your consistency will keep them feeling safe and secure while they're in your care. And the last thing I would say is maybe consider if you know the children are going to go home and have a horrendous three weeks, there's something called a transitional object that really works well with children. So a transitional object is something that you give to a child to help them move into a different phase or move away from you or take or come away from a scenario into a different scenario that might be really tricky for them and the object makes them feel secure because it reminds them of you or the safety and security they had. So this is something that if you work in early years you might be familiar with nurseries that let children bring in a teddy for a week or whatever. It's something from the place you feel secure into the place you don't. Now, a great idea would be that for every child in your class, not just the vulnerable children, you give them all something as a transitional object to help them with that transition into the Christmas period. So it doesn't need to be a present. You know, you don't, you might not have the budget to buy a present for every child in your class. That's absolutely fine. But what I mean is it could be, let's say that you have a load of stones, a load of little pebbles, and you paint each pebble yourself and you write a special message on it for each child individually. So one side could be their name and the other side could be a special message. The message could be something like um, hope or joy or you are strong or it might be an affirmation like you can do anything or you are brave. And you maybe spend some time just before the kids go off where you give everybody that transitional object. So a stone is a really good one. It might be a little card with a positive, hopeful message in it. It might be um, a little pack of worry dolls that they can put under their pillow. Um, It might be absolutely anything that's just something really small and transitional that if that child, if you imagine that child who is the most vulnerable, vulnerable child who wakes up on Christmas morning Mum and dad were drunk the night before, it's sinks of drugs in the house, you go downstairs, there's loads of presents, but you know those presents are going to end up being sold, your brother and sister are really vulnerable, they didn't really eat any food last night, 
and you go to your room and that pebble is by the side of your bed, it gives you hope. It makes you remember that somebody does care. Somebody is there for you and that person you'll see again in three weeks. I think it has so much power that we don't really necessarily understand the power of, but just giving them that little gift can make a massive difference. So give them something transitional that they can take home, keep and keep looking at and they've just got that thing that makes them feel secure. I remember when I did play therapy years and years ago and I had this young boy in my um, play therapy sessions and he was really, really vulnerable and he was really, really, really angry and volatile and nobody really liked him, like the kids in school. And he he was, he just really was struggling. And I had a tiny little Bible in my playroom for the sand. So in the sand tray, there's all little tiny miniatures and the kids can create a world in this tray. So there's like dolls and people and houses and trees and then there's really random things like weapons and Um, the Bible and gems and stones and all these other things and this tiny Bible went missing and we couldn't find it for weeks and I knew that he had taken it because he was really really struggling I knew he'd taken this Bible he wanted to take the toys out every week and I always said no anyway he managed to sneak this Bible in his pocket and the teacher actually found the Bible on the floor in the classroom and what he was doing was he was carrying it around with him everywhere he went. So he had it in wherever it was, within his uniform somewhere, and he was just carrying it with him. So he had something from the playroom where he felt safe and secure that he could keep with him through his days. And in the end, I said to the teacher, just like leave it out, let him have it, and just don't mention it, it's not an issue. If he needs to have that Bible, let him have the Bible. It's really not a problem. And in the end, I think he kept that Bible for, for quite a while. But it was just really, really kind of eye-opening for me and just really humbling for me that something from the playroom gave him strength. And I thought it was really interesting that it was a Bible that he chose. So your transitional objects might have that sense of importance for the children that's in, that are in your care as well. So that is how I would sort of see the children off. So the first one, avoiding everyone's experiences are the same. The second one is reducing their workload. The third one is regular breaks, calming, colouring, reading, things like that. The fourth one is loads of reflective language and if they need it, the boundaries. And then the fifth one is considering sending something home that's transitional. Now, what about when they come back to school? When they come back to school, have you ever had children who come back and they are all over the place. You can tell they've been on holiday because the boundaries are gone, the feelings are all over the show, they're getting into arguments a lot more, they just can't concentrate on their work and they just look wired, like really wired. That's probably because they haven't slept, they've been up all night playing Xboxes or watching TV, they've been going to sleep whenever they want, they haven't had enough food on the table, and they haven't. They definitely haven't had enough rest. That's one of the main causes when children come back off a holiday for difficult behaviour and lack of concentration because their brain is tired, it's drained, and they haven't had enough sleep. So they're also going to have experienced crazy holidays you will have no idea the kind of holiday that they've had they might have been robbing with their mates during the christmas break they might have been stealing from the shops around the corner they might have sold the playstation for drugs there's loads of stuff that might have happened in just that space of time and they might have heard a lot and seen a lot as well so when they come back into your care they're going to be all over the place. And what you need to do, your primary concern is to pull them back quickly. So get them out of reptilian, get them out of survival and back in to thinking brain and rational brain so that they can start to learn, but also they can start to feel safe and start to regulate themselves. So that's the first port of call when they come back. That really should only be your main concern is to 
sort them out and help them to just flip back to rational brain. But there are certain things that you're going to need to do in order to help them do that. So avoid using and assuming language. So avoid saying things like, what did everyone get up to? Did you have a wonderful Christmas? Because that then implies, if you're looking at a class of 30, it implies that everyone's had an amazing Christmas. What did you get? What did Santa bring? What well, I did this, da, 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 da. what did you guys do? Let's do a piece of work about it. Those children who've had a really tricky Christmas are so anxious right now. They might even kick off. You might have a child who does anything, any excuse to have a meltdown so that they can get out of that scenario because it's causing so much anxiety. You might have children that are so anxious, but they lie. They'll write an amazing piece of work about an amazing Christmas that didn't actually happen. And the fact that you've asked them to do that is heartbreaking for that child because they have to lie in order to be able to submit something. They can't be honest and open about how horrendous things were. And again, we're teaching them to mask their real feelings. So the trick here is, of course, we want to talk about Christmas. Christmas should have been lovely. And it isn't, you don't, you know, those blanket statements are out of nurturing care. They're not out of trying to trigger children. But instead, just change and tweak the way that you say it. So everyone's included. So you might say something like, Hi guys, has everyone's holiday been okay? I hope it was. It might have been a bit of a tough one or it might have been a really good one. Something like that because then the children in the class who have had the worst experience, their ears will perk up and they'll go, Oh, yeah, mine was tricky. Mine was really hard. Does she understand? Now you might not have any concept of what they've been through, but just saying that, gives them hope that somebody gets it. And it might be that you want to elaborate on that and you might say, sometimes holidays are really hard, aren't they? Holidays can be really, really tricky. And maybe some of you are just really glad to be back at school. I'm really glad to be back at school. So you are identifying their feelings as a blanket statement so they don't feel like they have to have this fake life of happiness. And it's okay to have had a rubbish Christmas. It's okay to have not enjoyed it. And then when they're older and they're still not having a good Christmas or anyone who finds Christmas time really sad, and a lot of adults do, they will know that that's okay. And that is really key because one of the issues and one of the things that creates mental health and wellbeing issues is that we pretend that mental health is about their inability to process something because things are really hard and, really, and it's a problem with them. And actually, that's not the case. It's okay to have had a hard Christmas. It's okay to not enjoy Christmas and to feel alone. Lots of people feel alone at Christmas. And if we can teach that to the children when they're young, it's normalizing very normal feelings that then don't become a stigma of mm, mental health issues. So that's really important. The second one, obviously, is to be extremely nurturing. So these children need you to be more nurturing, more caring, more loving, more in tune than ever before. Make sure the environment feels nurturing as well. Make it cozy. Have you got your fairy lights on? That makes a huge difference. Dim the main strobe lights because that is extremely offensive to a child who's already got an overwhelmed and over hyperactive brain because they've been in survival mode and they've got loads of stress hormone. Turn the strobe lights off, put lamps on, get some fairy lights on, make sure it's cozy in the room. Can you provide food? So yeah, you might have breakfast club, but not all kids will go to breakfast club. Can you, if you're in a really vulnerable area, can you provide something to eat in the classroom when they come in? Can everybody have one piece of toast? Can everybody have a, a, some warm milk? So instead of having milk at break, you have milk in the morning. Is there something you can do, a tweak that you can do? And warm milk doesn't have to be hard. You can literally add a little bit of hot water from the kettle to everybody's milk. But just something that that child who sat in that room can eat before you expect them to do anything else, 
fill their tummy, have a warm drink and they feel safe before you jump into, right guys, open your books, we're going to do some English this morning, we're going to do da, 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 because that's overwhelming and it's impossible. They're not ready to really bring down that brain. Have your relaxing music on, make it feel safe, make it feel secure. If there's any children who are coming in and really struggling with the transition from home to school, maybe they're scared to leave home because they know mum's going to be in danger without them. Maybe um, they... They don't want to be back at school because they don't want to leave the family home or it's just another transition that makes them anxious again. You might have more kickoffs, more children refusing um, or children who struggle when they come into the classroom to get ready for learning. If that's the case, can you give everybody five minutes of calm and colouring before the day even starts? So the music's on, the lights are on, they get a piece of toast and some warm milk and for the first five minutes you're doing register and they're having a bit of chance to do a bit of calm and colouring and then you move into learning. Can you do that? And again, if you're going to do that, explain to the children, right guys, this is to help you get back ready for learning. Sometimes when we've been on holiday, our brains can feel all over the place and we've done so much, we've had so many things go on and so it's really hard for our brain to be ready to learn. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to come in, we're going to have a piece of toast, there's going to be some music on and just for the first five minutes, we're going to do a little bit of calming colouring. Everybody independently colouring to get our brains ready to learn. That is a fantastic lesson about self-regulation and looking after your mental health. So extra nurturing. The third one is to give the children some time out of class. So if you have got extremely vulnerable children, you can't expect them to come in straight away and then do all the lessons in the same way that you would for the full day for a full week for the first week because it's just overwhelmingly hard and it's asking a lot you've got to get them ready and get them prepared so can you give them a little bit of time away from that stress so i was speaking to a teacher recently who said there's a particular child in her class who constantly goes to the toilet right now like they're always going to the toilet and i was talking about how that's actually an avoidance strategy it's a coping mechanism to be able to leave the room gives that child a sense of relief that they're out of that environment that's making them feel quite overwhelmed. Maybe they are feeling quite anxious about the work or a bit stressed or they've got so much stuff going on and they need regular breaks. The opportunity to have a regular break is to constantly go to the toilet. So you might have other children who constantly go to the water fountain or constantly kick off because they want to get out the room. So if you can provide those moments for them without them having to rely on their coping strategies, then that's a healthier way of doing it. So maybe small regular things. So can you build in more reading time where they do a little bit of reading, but maybe they get read to as well. That might be helpful. Or maybe there's time for music in the morning, like that's a regular break. Maybe when they come in from break time or play time, you have that like five minutes of meditation. Or if they're really struggling, maybe you have play therapy in place for those vulnerable children so that you know every week they've got somewhere to go to channel through those feelings. And that's in place when they first come back because then it gives them that time to be able to really transition back into school. And then the fourth thing is follow your connection versus disconnection behaviour plan or listen to episode nine for support around how to manage behaviour because it will be tricky. You are literally helping to change the brain chemicals again and the stress hormones are going to be really high and you're going to try and reduce them. The quicker you can reduce them, the more engaged children are going to be, the more able they can start to flourish and play with their friends again and all of those things. So they need the boundaries to be in place. They need that connection versus disconnection and behaviour plan. Okay, guys, that's the end of our episode today. I hope that's been helpful. Please do try and put some of these things in place. I know there isn't long left, but even if you started tomorrow, it will make a huge difference for those children who are going through that transition. 
and it will really help when they come back as well. So take some time to maybe make a little bit of a plan about what you're going to do. But hopefully that's been helpful and I'll see you in our next episode. Bye everyone. Really quick, exciting message for you. So on the 31st of December, which is New Year's Eve, I'm going to be releasing a really special episode. It's going to be our New Year's 2021 intention setting challenge. Now this challenge is basically setting our New Year's resolutions together, but it's going to be looking at it with a little slight twist. So if you really want to get involved, I'd love to see you there. You get a free workbook and you can sign up you fill out the workbook as we go through the podcast episode and that's going to help you be a little bit more intentional with your intentions for 2020 and stick to them as well so if you want to get involved click the link below sign up and then we'll email you out the workbook closer to the time you can listen to the podcast episode at any point on the 31st and start to set your intentions with me i can't wait to see you there and hopefully you'll have a wonderful christmas between now and then bye guys